My name is Steve Smith. Our scripture reading will be coming from Psalm 15. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongues utter no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're in this series in the Psalms, and as you can see, the title is Psalms, Songs to Live By. Um, As I was preparing this week, I ran across a description by an Old Testament professor from Azusa Pacific who's since passed away, Um, and he was describing how this psalm was uh, uh, reflective of temple worship or tabernacle worship and the expectations for people going to worship. And he said that it reminded him of what the expectations were for going to church when he was a kid. And this would have been in the 1950s. Uh, And he said there was a lot of expectations about going to church. Uh, First of all, he lived in uh, Texas and he said, I got a bath on Saturday night, whether I needed it or not, right? You had to get all cleaned up for church. And then he said, they would dress me up in clothing that I didn't wear during the week and didn't really like, which usually included a tie. And he said, even on the way to church, it was like everything was more subdued. It was Sunday. And when you got to church, everybody was real quiet and everything was real reverent, and everybody was dressed up. And then he said, I live in a different world now. First of all, I'm a professor in Southern California, so people don't dress up when they go to church anymore. He said, it's what you call California casual. And the definition of California casual, according to him, was a clean pair of shorts. Uh, So so things have changed a lot. What is interesting about his description is I can remember some of those same things in the 1960s when I was a kid. Now, our worship was more expressive and, you know, praise-oriented, for instance, than some of the more liturgical mainline churches, but there were certain expectations. And I think there's something to that that we've lost, right? But there's also something we've gained, in terms of spontaneity and perhaps in terms of emphasis. So the question at the beginning of Psalm 19 is, I'll use my own words, who's worthy to enter the temple? Who is worthy to ascend the Mount of the Lord in Jerusalem? Do you notice that it says nothing about attire? says nothing about temple rituals. They might have been assumed, but it doesn't say anything about that. 
What it talks about is the righteousness of the heart. And it says a man who wants to ascend the mount of God, wants to enter the temple, ought to focus on a few things. And here we have them. Some people have looked at this passage and said that there are almost like 10 commandments in there. If you look at it sort of line by line, other people have noted that there are 11 and still others like James Montgomery Boyce, which I really did appreciate in my reading this week, suggest that maybe the way to break this down is according to Hebrew parallelism, which is a form of poetry. And he suggests that Hebrew parallelism looks like this. There is repetition in Hebrew parallelism. Walk is blameless, does Righteous or righteousness. It's kind of the same thing said differently. Or another form of parallelism is contrast. Speaks the truth and by contrast does not slander. Another form of parallelism might be a parallelism of form. It's not only about this says the poem, but also about that. For instance, a righteous person keeps their oath even when it is to their own harm. So understanding this particular psalm and analyzing with parallelisms, I I would like to suggest five. And here they are. The first parallel uh, in this poem, I'll describe as lifestyle. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? The one, says the psalmist, whose walk is blameless, who speaks what is righteous. Now, before, if those of you who are careful readers of your Bible, when you open it up, don't expect that the parallelism is going to match up with the verses. Okay, because we made those verses. Uh, So in this description, I'll give you some of the parallels are halfway through a verse and halfway through another. So what does this mean? If you're like me and you see this phrase, whose walk is blameless, you start to shudder. I'm not going to make it to the mount of the Lord. I'm not worthy to enter the sanctuary. But what we know is that he's not suggesting that a person is sinless. After all, we believe this psalm is a psalm of David, who was said to be a man after God's own heart, and we all know of his sin. It's not about sinlessness. It's about a consistent walk or pursuit of God, that it never stops, even when we fail. We get up, we confess, and we passionately pursue God. That is a blameless walk. It's a person who doesn't just talk the talk, but walks the walk. It's a person who doesn't just speak about what ought to not not to be. It's a person who lives according to the rules he states. And even when he misses the mark, he continues to walk in the right direction. 
Also this person, according to our parallelism, he is not a person of passive righteousness. In other words, he's actively engaged in righteousness. It's not like he's a static Christian. He stays away from the world. He does the right things, namely, don't do this. There's something else in the parallelism. It's a person whose speech is actually righteous, whose walk is completely righteous. Think, for instance, of the words of Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 25. Speaking of the righteous person, he said the righteous person is the one who feeds the hungry, the one who gives drink to the thirsty, the one who welcomes the stranger, the one who clothes the naked, the one who cares for the sick. Or to put it in the words of the epistles of James, faith without works or acts of righteousness is dead. It's no faith at all. So the psalmist is saying, if you want to ascend the hill of the Lord, be a person who is forward moving in terms of your righteousness, not just passively warding off sin. The second parallelism I will describe as a parallelism parallelism related to speech. These are the words. Who speaks the truth from the heart. Whose tongue utters no slander. And who does no wrong to a neighbor. This person, this righteous person... It's not just saying what you want to hear. This righteous person is not calculating concerning what works best in the situation. And I'll just say that. He's speaking the truth. Whatever the truth is. He or she is honest. It also means that this person is trustworthy. Another word that could be used as part of this translation This person speaks the truth, and this person is trustworthy. That's the positive part of the parallelism. The negative part of the parallelism is pronounced this way. Does no wrong to their neighbor and does not slander others. You speak the truth. You speak it in love. You don't try to cut the corners, but at the same time. You're also a person who does no wrong to your neighbor. One of the most insidious sins in the Christian church is a sin of gossip. It's a sin of putting others down so you can feel better about yourself. It's a sin that actually creeps in to our prayer life. It's a sin where in a prayer meeting, someone shares something about someone that perhaps others don't know. It is really problematic. And says something like, I I just share this because I want you to pray for them. Really? 
Is that the only reason? Or did you say it because you want people to understand something about that person that's out of character? Some hidden sin that you didn't know about. Some sin that actually elevates you because it's not your sin. The sin of gossip is, is a sin that is exalted in television programs. Seems like there's some forms of television that that's what it's about. Who can gossip the most? Those real life television shows. Who can speak against the other behind his or her back the most? Who can degrade the other person the most? That, says the psalmist, should not be true of us. I guess an introspective question is last week, was that true of you? Ever? Was it? Were you a gossip? That's not righteous, says the psalmist. If you want to ascend the hill of the Lord, you need to get rid of that. You need to make your walk and your speech blameless. A third parallelism is this. Who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord. Now, let me add something to this. It doesn't mean to ostracize people who are not righteous. It doesn't mean to stay away from the sinner. If that were true, we'd have to reevaluate what Jesus did, who was a friend of sinners, of prostitutes and tax collectors, the worst of the worst in that culture. So the psalmist is not saying, you look at someone who's evil and you despise them, you spit on them, you degrade them. That's not what he's saying. What he's suggesting is that you despise evil itself. Because evil actually destroys. You despise the thing that destroys the image of God in others. You don't glorify that thing. As a matter of fact, to despise evil and to embrace good is a form of protecting others and protecting justice. We hold up standards of righteousness for a reason. We should despise the vile, but we should also honor righteousness. Or as 1 Corinthians 13 puts it, we ought to rejoice in the truth. Fourth parallelism is what I'll call integrity. It's this, who keeps an oath even when it hurts. A person who does not change his or her mind. Again, allow the words of Jesus to inform the psalmist at this point. Jesus was in a culture where people around him, particularly because of the influence of the Pharisees, would try to reinforce their own honesty by saying, I swear by this, I swear by that. And there was a ladder of swearing by something. 
And when you got to the point of swearing by the temple, then people really had to take your honesty seriously. I'm not just kidding would be our phrase, right? And Jesus says to that cultural experience, don't do that. Don't swear by anything. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just be a person of integrity, a person that everyone knows of your honesty. And when a promise is made, even when that promise is harmful to you, keep it. This is going to morph into parallelism number five on wealth. Because I'm going to use an illustration of what keeping your oath might look like. If you, following the mandate of Christ, and even the mandate of the Old Testament, decide that you're going to give to the poor without asking for any money in return or any interest on the money you've given then when you don't get paid back at all, which could be to your hurt, you keep your promise. The fifth parallelism has to do with wealth or money. Who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe. We need to hasten to add that interest on money was not categorically wrong. What was categorically wrong was if your brother or sister was in need and they were impoverished, when you gave to them, you did not require payment with interest. You just gave to them. You may remember the description uh, in the book of Nehemiah when Nehemiah is trying to rebuild the walls and, of course, the temple and all that together. At one point near the end of the book of Nehemiah, people from Israel come to Nehemiah and they say, do you realize the usury that's going on around here? The payment for taxes from the king is excessive. And we don't have the money. But our fellow Israelites who do have the money are giving us loans and charging interest that is so high we could never pay it off. As a matter of fact, it's so severe we have to sell our children into slavery. Nehemiah goes ballistic. And he says, do you not understand the law of God? This is absolutely unrighteous. Just as the psalmist says, if you're going to ascend the mount of the Lord, if you're going to enter his holy sanctuary, make sure that these things are true of you. Make it a lifestyle. I remember hearing a story like this on one occasion won't say who, but it was a member of this congregation who had a need, 
or should say had identified me. And the person had actually come to them and asked for help. And this person said, I'll help you. And she did. She said, my, my hope was that eventually I'd get paid back. And as a matter of fact, the person to whom the gift was given promised to pay it back. And they never did. They never even spoke about it again. And this individual said, that's okay. Now there's something about that that's not okay, right? They should have paid it back. But there's something about it that's remarkably righteous. She said, they had a need and I gave them the money. And it is to my own hurt that I gave them that money. But I will take the hurt because I never gave them the idea that they had to pay it back. That could be played out in many situations, right? It could go beyond money and wealth. Money and wealth are just an example of that. You keep an oath even when it hurts. At the very end of this psalm, and I know I'm going to make the mark because I got a weak voice this morning. So. The very end of the psalm comes with a promise. And the promise is this. If you are like this, if you are the righteous, know this, the righteous will not be shaken. It's a word that's used in reference to earthquakes where the ground's moving underneath you. The righteous, as a psalmist, will not be shaken. Some people improperly assume that this is some form of a prosperity gospel, that economic prosperity will always come to those who are generous. Of course, they don't read the oath that you keep that is to your own hurt. This is not about prosperity. This promise is not about the fact that storms will not be part of your life. If that were true, we'd have to take the book of Job and cut it out of the Bible. That's not what this promise is. This is a promise concerning the continual presence of God. Because the whole idea of the psalm is ascending the hill of the Lord. The whole idea is entering the holy place. And the psalmist says, if you live like this, the continual, eternal presence of God will never leave you. Or in the words of Jesus, follow me and I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Or in the words of Paul, Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Or even the words of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. 
And one last psalm. If you live like this as a psalmist, you will experience this, which appears in the next psalm. Psalm 16, verse 11. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? These people. Let's be those people. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for uh, the righteousness of God in Christ. We, We begin that way because we want to remind ourselves of where we stand. We don't stand in front of you as perfectly righteous, far from it. But because of Jesus Christ who stood in our place, we have been in the words of the the Reformation theologians, we've been declared righteous. We've been declared righteous because we accept your righteousness by faith. But it doesn't stop there, Lord. It means that if we accept your righteousness by faith, we ought to walk in righteousness. And even though life might be hard from time to time, Lord, help us to keep walking in righteousness. Even if we keep oaths that are to our own hurt, let us continue to walk in righteousness. Even if we would like to slander a person, maybe because they've slandered us, let us keep walking in righteousness. Even if there are people around us, people in the public media, people in what might be called a large friend group who don't set righteous examples, remind us to walk in righteousness and not to celebrate their unrighteousness, but to look to the righteousness of God in Christ. We thank you for that gift of grace. Make us worthy recipients as we walk with you. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.